We're gonna talk about shed hunting because we're right on the brink of it. People always talk about, you know, well, how do you find so many sheds? Well, you gotta, they have to be sheds there to be found, first off. And the only reason there's gonna be sheds there is if there's a food source late in the season. You know, when I talk late in the season, we're talking like right now. If you've got great food sources, but they're gone by December, you're, you're gonna have a hard time finding an antler. And so I think that's just real, um, real basic elementary stuff when it comes to shed hunting. Food is king when it comes to it. I mean, oftentimes food is king when it comes to deer in general, but when it comes to antlers, for sure, sheds anyway. So my dogs have not worked on sheds for a long time because we haven't thought about them for a long time. We've coming off the fall, the fall for us is heavily into upland, into gun dog work, into deer hunting, tracking. So we are spending the majority of our time in the off season of sheds doing things that are not shed related. As we come into the shed season, this is where that versatility comes in. Now we're gonna change the shape and we're gonna change the scent of some things. Um, the dogs that I'm training right now are that, that are shed hunting are my personal dogs. And so, and I do every, if you know anything about me, I do just about everything with my personal dogs. So we're gonna start to shift back into that mindset and mentality. Question came, and the question is, how do you get that scent liquid to soak into that antler? All mine does is run off. Now this is coming from a customer who bought our shed kit. Uh, he had our training dummy and he's got the scent. So the answer, his question is, is, how do I get that to soak into the antler? I don't, it's not possible to and there's really no reason to and here's why. You gotta, you gotta realize that when we, when we train these dogs for shed hunting, it's not, as simp it's not as cut and dry as use a dummy, make it smell like a shed. Now, hear me out because you're gonna say, well that's what it says on your package. Yeah, do a degree, but it's not the idea of simplicity of take a dummy, put an antler scent on it, make it smell like an antler, and then the dog understands how to pick up all the antlers. That's, that's the general idea, but there's a lot, that's like saying buy a bird training dummy, put some bird scent on it, you've got a bird dog. It doesn't work that way either. There's a lot more layers to this. There's a lot more things that need to be taken into consideration. The idea of the scent is to dial your dog into visually checking something out. So there's a, I think people ask all the time, well, is he using his nose or is he using his eyes? And my answer is both. Just like when I go look for something, I'm gonna use any clue possible. I'm gonna, I mean, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty interesting creatures. Like we have brains that allow us to process lots of stuff. Same with a dog. So it's not as linear as going, well, you only recognize certain shapes and then you go get them. It's like the idea, it goes back to the idea of like some people go, don't train a shed dog to bird hunt. Don't train a bird dog to shed hunt because then they won't do the other. Let's not undersell the potential of an op that these dogs have. Like I, I, that's like saying you play basketball, you can't play baseball. We all know that's not true. Now, I'm a believer in the idea of the best athlete plays the sports the best because I think there are skills that an athlete has that a non-athletic person doesn't have. There are skills that a hunting dog has that are important for them to go hunting. What they're hunting for doesn't really matter as long as they have skills for hunting. So you, you can transfer it and I, I think we have to give them credit that way. So the idea with the scent is Get them to understand that there are certain scents that are worth going to take a look at. So that's why I make the scent the way I make it. Now, with that being said, how much scent do you use? This guy's questioning, how do I get to soak in the antler? I don't want to soak in the antler. 
I want to be able to put as much or as little on the antler as, as necessary based on variables. And the variables are scenting conditions, the dog's abilities, the dog's experience level. Lots of things come into it where I want to challenge a dog yet not set them up to fail. So there's now all of a sudden the variable that comes into this training situation is me. I have to make some educated decisions based on experience, which means you got to do something a bunch of times, make some, make enough mistakes that you correct it. So for me, I, ans I answered that question. I said, well, the sense applied to the surface, it's there. It's a, more than enough for my dog to pick up. Hell, sometimes I don't even put the scent on the dummy. I think a lot of people are going, well, why wouldn't you put it on the dummy? Because I don't necessarily want the, it to be that easy for a dog. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll put a training dummy down or a real antler and I'll put scent down and I'll put scent five to 10 feet away from it. So now what I'm doing is, is I'm getting a dog working, 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 all of a sudden a dog catches a scent clue. Can't, maybe, maybe it's in cover and the dog can't see the antler, can't see the training dummy, but he catches wind out of that cover. So he's touching scent and he works towards it and he works towards it and it's not there. He found the scent but it's not there. So what I don't want a dog to do is give up and go, nope, it's not here. What I want a dog to do is continue to work an area. Ah, man, there's a reason why there's that scent there. Because take transplant this into the real world when there's a real antler there. Maybe the antler falls on the ground and a squirrel, I've seen pictures, I've seen videos where coyotes are carrying them around. I've, seen I've had a trail camera picture with a coyote that had a shed in his mouth. So it's, it happens. Uh, small antlers, I found antlers up in trees. I think some of those antlers get up in trees not because they fell on there, it's because a squirrel picked it up and carried it up there. I mean, I've seen corn cobs piled up in the tops of trees. It's not because the corn fell there, it's because a, a squirrel carried it up there or a raccoon carried it up there. So there's all these variables that come in the real world. It's not so perfect that we go, the deer shed lays in a bed, like this happens once in a while, and occasionally you're gonna find this fresh bed of, an ant, of a deer and it's iced down on the bottom and you see this buck is laid there and he's, you know, he's got the, the bank to his back and the wind in his face and all. It's all the perfect scenario. And then you'll find an antler laying there in that bed. That happens, but it happens a small percentage of the time. So can we train for it? Should we train for it? Should we look in those spots when we're shed hunting? Absolutely. But that just because it's not exactly textbook the way it should be, doesn't mean that there won't be an antler there. So I've found some antlers in some real strange spots. I have a buddy that found one on the highway recently. I saw he posted it on Facebook. So they're not necessarily, like he literally found it in the median between the four lane highway. There's not supposed to be an antler there. Did a deer shed there? Could have. Did someone throw it there? Could have. I don't care how it got there. I want to pick it up. So what we have to do is teach these dogs all these different scenarios. So I might put scent away from the dummy, away from the antler, get the dog into the area, let the dog find that and go, nope, it's not here. But man, there's a reason why it should have been here. There's a reason that it must have been here at one point because I'm getting scent, I'm touching scent, something was here. And hunt the area and eventually find it. And how do they find it? They find it with their nose, they find it with their eyes because now they see it. They get in the area with their nose, they hunt with their eyes. So I'm, I wanna control how much or how little I, uh, how much, if I'm using a lot on a, on a terrible scenting condition day, which happens, I'm gonna use more scent. On really good scenting conditions, maybe a little moisture. Like right now it's really tough. 
super dry air, like we have ultra dry air right now, and it's below zero air temps with wind chills and real fuel temps of 15 below. I, I want anyone right now that's listening to this, I want you to go outside, I want you to stick your nose down into the powdery light because this snow that we have is real light and dusty and, and granular because of, the, because of the conditions, because of the low moisture. It's not a real heavy, wet, damp snow. I thought this snow was gonna be real heavy, damp, and wet. It was for about a day, and now it's real light and fluffy because the moisture's been pulled out of it. So it's little tiny icicle, little ice particles. But go out there, stick your nose in it, and suck in really hard. Breathe in through your nose. See if you can do that. Now, see, tell me how that felt because you're asking your dog to do it. It's hard. It's hard to do, it hurts. And so, because your nose is full of little sensory glands, and when you freeze them, it hurts. So, what happens, your nose starts to run, your body responds to try to fight and combat what's going on. So it's trying to moisturize, like, this is the worst time, my hands the last few days have been like sandpaper. Like, I don't use lotion. I put lotion on the last couple days because my hands are literally, I feel like I can sand a board down using them. Like, that's my two hands rubbing together right now after putting lotion on them for two days. Why is it? Because of conditions. It's super dry. It makes it really hard. I rabbit hunted a few weeks ago with the guy that had beagles, and I thought, man, this is going to be perfect. There's a fresh snow. Uh, it, 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 you cut fresh tracks. These dogs should scent really well. No. I saw the rabbits out in front of them and they could hardly stay on them because the conditions were really tough between the wind, the dry air, and the super cold temps that we were having. They struggled. And that's what I know of. Now, I don't know what the barometric pressure was doing. I don't know if that scent was being lifted or held to the ground. I don't know any of those factors. Those are all factors that play into this. So, when it comes to this scent, I don't just coat the antler. I don't want it on the antler. I want it to go on and off. I want it to be able to be as much or as little. I talked to him, I, I messaged to him about the idea of we're really just encouraging them to hunt an area based on their natural game finding. That's what the training scent is designed for. The training scent is also there to get them to recognize certain scents in the wild are worth checking out. I had, I, this is one that stands out to me. Last year we were working through a, um, a corn field, like a, like a cut corn, it was corn stubble. And we're working through it, and all of a sudden, Ellie stopped on a dime. And she worked into that cornfield. Now, she cut wind, the wind was blowing towards us, she got downwind, she stopped, she, it's one of these, like if it was a pointing dog, it would be like, from 100 miles an hour to dead stop on a point, like on, the, on a dime. Well, she broke, almost broke her neck, snapping her neck back into the cornfield, and she worked into it, zigzagging into the wind, into the wind, into the wind. And she, and I was just waiting for her to pick an antler up, because I knew she had smelled one. And I've seen dogs do this before. I've, I've seen, this is, this is where it comes into like understanding and reading body language. So I see the dog do it, she works up into that cornfield, and all of a sudden she's, I can hear it. She's just sucking it in, sucking it in. I'm looking for that antler so hard. Where is she gonna find it? And corn stubble is the hardest to hunt, in my opinion, because everything looks like an antler. So she's working, she's working, she's working, and all of a sudden she's smelling, shakes off a little bit and walk, walks off, trots off, keeps hunting. And I'm like, what did she smell that she came to so hard? Well, it was, it was from, a, it, I'm sure, because you could kind of see it in the snow, there was a little bit of snow yet, 
it was a it was a pee post where a coyote marked it. So there was pee like literally next to it. Now, she caught the scent of that urine and she hunted back to that urine. Now, with, I, I've seen this before, snow on the ground, shed antler on top of the snow, piss marks on it, like in the snow. Coyotes mark them. And so take a, take a shed antler, take your shed antlers that you find fresh this year, put them in a Tupperware tote and put them in your pickup truck on a sunny day on the dash for an hour and then open the lid and tell me what it smells like. It's gonna stink. Not just urine, but I guarantee you somewhere in there there is some. There's, there's other things in there that stink. But and the reason you can smell it like that is because it's concentrated, it's condensed. It's all right there, it's been heated up, it's become real active germ-wise germ or, or uh, bacteria-wise, and it's concentrated, and when you open it up, you can smell it, because you're capable of it. But as soon as it dissipates, you're not gonna smell it anymore. Like you, you put that antler, you put that toad of antlers outside for five minutes, stick your head in there, you're not gonna smell it anymore because of the different levels of concentration. That's what training scent is doing, it's very highly concentrated. Use as much or as little as necessary. A couple tiny drops goes a long, long way. Especially because we've changed actually our scent in the last few years, we've intensified it. It's stronger. So you should use less, and if you really want, put a, cut it with water. Like, and, uh, what kind of salesman am I? Telling you to take our product and dilute it so it'll go further for you. It's because I'm not concerned about you buying one or two or three bottles. I'm concerned with you having success. Because if you have success, you'll get more. I'm, I'm sure of that. But that scent doesn't have to be set up so that a dog can smell it from a thousand yards away because they're not gonna smell an antler from a thousand yards away. It's all driven based on these elements and these variables that we're talking about. So replicate that in your training. So the other thing I told them was if you want something to absorb that scent, liquid that is, put it on a tennis ball. Tennis balls are the best little training tools I've found because dogs love them. They're really a positive thing. But they're also arguably some of the best for laying scent trails. Like skip it down the road, roll it down the road, take a tennis racket out and whack it across the a shortcut field and let it bounce around sporadically. It's just like laying a trail. A tough trail for a dog to follow. You don't want to make it that tough because you got a young dog that's inexperienced, maybe a puppy. So take it and roll it into the grass. Roll it into some short grass that's just shorter than the tennis ball. Green tennis ball and green grass is hard to see. I use orange, I buy these orange tennis balls and pink tennis balls. Whenever I can find them, I buy them. Because I use those in the fall. I use them in the, in the timber, in the brush, in the cover, in the leaves. Harder to find. Hard to see. Got to use your nose to find them. What a reward when they get them. You know, I take these, the, the other reason I love a tennis ball is because it's so small. It's real little. So when you hide it, it's easy to hide. You hide a train, it's hard, sometimes hard to hide a training dummy. Too big. Hard to hide a canvas or fire hose dummy that we sell. Too big. You know, what? one of the reasons I love putting wings on training dummies, these fire hose dummies that we have are different sizes. I just had this question, someone asked about, what do you do about the, this is a tracking question, but about the hide, the real hide that we put on there for scenting reasons. What, what do you do with it? Well, I put it on a canvas, I put it on this fire hose dummy. It's a standard size fire hose dummy. It's specifically made to fit on there. But one of the reasons I like putting wings on the, on the dummies is because the wing not only creates natural scent from a game find standpoint, but it also creates breakup in camouflage. 
it's hard to see it compared to a solid color. A solid color is color contrast and it stands out against things in, the, in nature. But when you wrap it with wings, wings are like the best camo there is. So we put, we put that on there for that reason as well. So I'm using this liquid scent on a tennis ball. And the other thing I think you can look at, especially in these temperatures, is if you, what I like to do is I call it a little icicle. I take that training dummy, I'll put scent on it, I'll dribble the scent down it, and then I touch it into the snow. And what happens, it instantly freezes. And when it freezes, it freezes ice to your training dummy. Now you got the scent on there, but it's not like you embedded it. It's not like it's soaked in. Because what are you gonna do when you're done with it? If you start injecting, I do not like the idea of injecting dummies with scent, because what are you gonna do when you're done? You can't just get it out. So I don't necessarily want the same amount of scent today that I'm gonna use in three days from now. Because what's gonna change? A lot of variables. So you put that scent on the training dummy, dip it down into the snow, lift it back up and watch. All that spot that was wet now is an ice. Take that, pitch it out. Now that, that scent is still there. It's just stuck basically frozen to the dummy. So those are, that's how we discuss this idea of the scent running off. Now, do we got time for to hit this quick, the yeah. second question? Okay, the podcast, this podcast might go a little bit longer, but it's got the same theme and I want to knock it out. So. Um, Another question. I've been working with my dog for about two months with your system. We're up to regular sheds. I hide them in a pasture. I get them kind of close. I get them kind of close to it. I tell him to find the sheds to encourage him and build his confidence. After four or five times, he gets bored, distracted, so we stop. Just checking to see if we're on the right track or should I be approaching things in a different way as we lead up to shed season. He's a GSD Malinois mix with a strong prey drive, gets easily distracted. So I said to her, I said, and this is from a gal named Jennifer. I said, Jennifer, it sounds like you're on the right track, but what I think you have to start looking at is understanding training is training, hunting is hunting. They are not gonna be the same. You can't replicate them. So what it, this goes back to that routine thing that we were talking about. And I've talked about this in another podcast um, discussing how we set up for training, for actual shed hunting and actual hunting in general. But what I see here is the routine that we talked about earlier in the podcast is what's really kind of happening. You guys have like a memorized thing. You put four or five of them out in a pasture, you work through the pasture, they find them and then they get distracted because that's the end of the thing. Like the routine's over. I don't need to be with you anymore. I did my job. You probably got real excited the first few times that you guys did this, which is really like this addictive thing to say, let's go do it again. It was really good, let's go do it again. It was really good, that makes us feel good. We as trainers do things that make us feel good. That's part of the why we get, that's part of the reason we get stuck in these routines. Because we do the same shit over and over and over again because it makes me feel good. Because I feel like I've done something and trained this dog, when really all we did was set him up to memorize stuff. Now it sounds like that could be happening here. So what do I do? I mix it up. What do I do? I, instead of putting four or five antlers out in, a, in the same pasture every time, I might go through the pasture and there's nothing there. She worked through the pasture, no finds. Ooh, this is interesting, mom. I'm used to finding four or five, where did they go? So now maybe there's a new area that we go into and oh my God, I found one. And your excitement goes back up to the idea of, of man, that's actually, the dog is starting to understand it and not just getting the game that I set him up for. Now the other thing I like to do is I like to go through areas that dogs know it's gonna be there. I, I use the same spots for things. 
Uh, memory blinds. I, I set them up as memories, 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 and eventually I run it as a blind. It's going to the exact same spot that they picked things up a hundred times before. That's part of the way I get them to understand they should run without me seeing it. So it's a process, but I'll go to these areas and let them hunt because they know it's going to be there. We've, we've, dogs found it here a million times. They hunt through it and it's not there. And they look at me and they go, it's not here. And I keep telling them, no, no, keep looking. Lost, lost, find it, find it, whatever your command is. No, it's not here, dad. It's not here. It's not here. So I move off. And while I move off, I put, I put something in there. I drop something unseen. They don't, they don't know what's there. Circle around, bring them right back in there. And they're going to go, dad, I was just here. It's not, whoa, it's here. You do know what's right. You do know what it, when you tell me it's here, it is here. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the first time through, I memorized that it's going to be there and, and everything's going as planned. Everything's going the same as it did yesterday and the thousand times before when we did this. Mix it up on them. So I think you have to find and create new scenarios, new environments, new distractions, replicate the desired behavior, but ensure that it's not the location that's making it happen. It's not the setup that's making it happen. It's the behavior that's stronger. So I think you have to look at doing that. I also think that there is no way to, to replicate 100% the hunt. No different than when we go hunting. We do as best we can to prepare them, but then going hunting is how we get dogs to the point where we have them be proficient. So especially shed hunting. Think about the difference between shed hunting and bird hunting. It's easy to replicate bird hunting stuff very closely because we can go to a game farm. Like if you want to, I'm training one right now to be a pheasant dog. It'll be easier for me to get her, what I would say confident and proficient as a pheasant flushing dog than I would a shed hunting dog because once I get her to the point where we got, where she's got all these parts and pieces or toolboxes full of stuff that we can go do some flushing and shooting and retrieving, I literally, I have a pen right now with 20 pheasants in right here. Like I could put them out, we could go flush them, we could shoot them, and it's very close. It's, a, it's very, very close to the wild thing. Now it's not a wild bird, but it's pretty, pretty close. It's really a nice stepping stone to a wild bird where I, I could do a hundred in a day. The dog could flush lots of birds really easily, pretty naturally. I mean, take it another step further and go hunt on a game farm that the birds weren't stocked. You're just hunting scratch birds. Those, are, those can be pretty wild, especially if they've been there a while. So now you're in an area that's target rich. You know there's a bunch there and they're basically untouched human-wise. So you're as close as you're gonna get to the real thing. You can, you can make those arrangements pretty easily. It's very difficult. I don't know many people that find 100 sheds a year anymore. I, I used to, it used to be my goal, hit 100. I haven't done that in four years, five years. Because I haven't gone enough. I haven't gone enough places. It's harder to do it because a lot more people are doing it. So a lot of places that I used to go, I don't even get to go to anymore. Or I get to go to them, but someone has been there before me. So the number of antler opportunities that you get are indicative of how your dog develops to truly be kind of finished out and understand what the real thing is. It takes a lot of experience to get proficient, a couple seasons usually. And so if you only find three or four sheds a year, a couple seasons, you're, you haven't even, the dog hasn't even had a chance to pick up 10 in its life maybe. 
So I think, does that mean you shouldn't shed hunt with them? No, not at all. It means you should shed hunt more if possible. But I think you also have to understand realistic expectations and be okay with realistic expectations. Don't get sucked into the, I saw this on YouTube. Don't get sucked into the, I saw this on his Facebook or his Instagram. If you, I just listened to this thing the other day and it said, but other, it was a guy talking about young business people. And he said, but other 21 year olds are saying this. And the guy stopped him and said, anybody who starts a sentence with, but they're doing this, it's a bullshit sentence. Stop right now. It will do you no good. So if you ever catch yourself going, but I saw this guy, but I saw this dog doing it at this age on Instagram, just bite your tongue and recognize that that is a sentence that will get you nothing positive. When you're thinking about that and worrying about that, you're doing nothing for yourself and nothing for your dog. Forget about that. We've talked about that for a long time about not making comparisons. We can talk about it all we want. It doesn't work until we execute on it. I'm guilty of it. I question myself at times. I question the progress we're doing. And then I kick myself in the ass and go, you just told people to stop worrying about that. You stop worrying about it. And as soon as I stop worrying about it, I feel a hell of a lot better about everything we're doing. And consequently, and I don't know, maybe it's coincidentally, I don't think it is, things go better then. Progress happens quicker. It's, it's not an accident. It's our energy needs to be spent on things that make a difference, not energy wasted on things that mean nothing. And if Tim from down the road's got his four month old doing it, good for Tim. Instead of me being upset about it, jealous about it, comparison to it, I'm going to say, good for you, Tim. You know how, you know how nice that is to just not feel any type of resentment or anger or disappointment or frustration. Name the emotion because everyone's going to have a little bit different one. But instead, it's celebratory. Good for you, Tim. And, and Bosco. Nice work, Bosco. I, if it's true, it's, if it's true, which it probably isn't, but if it is true, good for them. Mean it. You can't just say it. You got to mean it. I think a lot of times we, we congratulate people and we really don't care. We don't really feel that congratulations. That loses. It doesn't help us. Got to be honest with yourself. So I think the, the, the idea is re, realistic expectations as we go into this spring. I've got a couple dogs that haven't picked up antlers. They're my dogs. And for whatever reasons, lack of opportunities, we haven't actually picked any up with them for a season or two. Last year, we only found three, two, I think. And one of them was old. So, I mean, when I say old, like, I mean, I had plowed it up a couple times. I hit it with a disc a couple times. It was in a set aside grass. So keep in mind, I'm going to be going through it as well. It'll take my dogs. Taylor will be the quickest one to get back on the bike because she's just the oldest and the easiest when it comes to that. She can take breaks and get right back into stuff and just really not miss a beat. Ellie will be a different story. Ellie will probably run right over antlers and she's picked up quite a few in her life to this point. When I say quite a few, I mean, it's less than 50. That's not very many. But for her, it's quite a few. And for a lot of dogs, that's quite a few. So it'll take, she'll run over a few before that light bulb clicks back on with her. But once it does, we'll be, get, and that's why we train. 
to ingrain it, ingrain it, ingrain it, and then let the light bulb come on when the light bulb comes on. And when it doesn't come on when we want it as quickly as we want it, which is what will happen, we won't get frustrated. We won't be we won't be holding grudges against her. I talked about that in the last one. I'm not going to get pissed off at her and hold a grudge. Because that will take us, that will be progress in the reverse. It will take us that much further to get her confidence up to get that light bulb. You have to have the connection for the light bulb to turn on. The wire's got to connect. And so every time we get upset with them, disappointed, frustrated, they read us, and then this, those wires just move apart a little wider, a little wider, a little wider gap. Instead, I want to encourage them to get a little closer, a little closer, until all of a sudden, zzz, it touches. And all of a sudden, light bulb's on. That's the best feeling, light bulb moments. <laughs>